Hi there, welcome back to Cut the Crip, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Rohas Nagpal, where I deepen your understanding of the crypto world and in the coming weeks on the blockchain world as well. Now, while the focus of this podcast has been on crypto, whether it's cryptocurrency or crypto assets, we haven't really explored blockchain technology, how it works, the tech behind it, the use cases beyond cryptocurrency, and the most popular public blockchains out there. To do this, in today's episode, we have with us Ria Bhambani, the producer of this podcast. Ria joined us in February of this year when we did an episode on India's digital currency, the CBDC. Today, Ria comes on the show with her questions on blockchain. Hi, Ria. Welcome back to Cut the Crypt. Hi, Rohas. Thank you. It's really good to be here. And I'm very, very glad we're doing this episode. It feels like, you know, blockchain technology is something we all skim over when explaining it in context of uh, cryptocurrencies or NFTs. And, you know, we haven't really dug deeper into it. And since you're a blockchain architect, I think this is maybe, um, you know, the best opportunity to ask you a few questions and dive deeper into blockchain technology. Sounds awesome. Let's start. All right. So in this episode, I want to begin with a few questions that apply to just understanding the blockchain basics and uh, maybe later even understanding a few use cases, the main public blockchains out there. But let's, you know, dial it back a little bit more and start with the real, real basic question. What is a blockchain? Excellent question. So let's start with the concept of a computer database. So let's say you're logging into your favorite social networking site. You enter your username and password. Now, how does the website know whether that's a genuine username and password? And once that username password is authenticated, how does it know to show you only your data and not someone else's data? All this happens because every website at the backend has something called a database. Kind of consider it like an Excel file where you know you can store a lot of information about each user. And a blockchain at its core is a extremely secure blockchain, something which is almost impossible to hack. And another benefit of a blockchain is instead of it being controlled by one entity, like for example, when you're logging into Gmail, it's only Google who has all the data in their database. Or when you're using Facebook, it's only Meta which has the data. But if you were to do something on a blockchain, anybody in the world who has a node, which is like a computer connected to the blockchain, they can view all the data. So it's sort of like democratizing a database. So basically, it's like you said, an extremely, extremely secure database that is publicly available for the most part. That would be the simplest way to describe it. Okay, got it. And in terms of, you know, like the actual sort of workings of it, right? How does blockchain technology work exactly? So the most important thing or the heart of the blockchain is something called a consensus mechanism. Because there is no single central body controlling the blockchain and there are a bunch of anonymous people who are actually involved in it, how do they decide whether a particular transaction or data should go into the blockchain, whether it is authentic or not? That is something handled by a piece of technology called the consensus algorithm. And that's the most important thing. So, you know, a lot of times you people say that Bitcoin consumes a lot of energy. The reason is Bitcoin uses something called proof of work as a consensus mechanism. And that requires people called miners 
to run very powerful computers for very long amounts of time to solve a mathematical problem and every time someone solves the mathematical problem some data is put into the bitcoin blockchain or some new bitcoins are created so consensus mechanism is at the core and proof of work is the first one which bitcoin started with and today there are almost 100 different consensus models available So so Rohas you mentioned proof of work right and I know there's also proof of stake blockchains um can you explain the two and the differences between them a little bit more Sure so in a proof of work like I said there are miners who are running really powerful computers and consuming humongous amounts of electricity and they have to solve a mathematical problem every few minutes then in the proof of stake things are a lot simpler you buy the native crypto of the blockchain and then because you own a certain amount of that crypto you have a stake in the crypto and that can be used as a way of doing a consensus mechanism the real mechanics of it are very complex but to put it in a very simple manner because somebody owns a crypto they are less likely to allow bad transactions to go in because if bad transaction goes in that blockchain loses importance people don't use it and your crypto value goes down to zero so you are incentivized or motivated to make sure only correct transactions go in so that's a very fundamental difference between proof of work and proof of stake hmm so if i were to break this down in terms of an example you would say that let's say if i rented a building versus me owning the building i would care more if i actually owned a flat in the in the building right absolutely correct so in proof of stake you are owning some cryptos so yes you are like an owner of that mm hmm So that's what proof of stake is built on and in fact now Ethereum which is the world's second most important blockchain after Bitcoin hmm. until today Ethereum's been running on proof of work but soon they are also shifting to proof of stake. So you're seeing basically that proof of stake I don't know if I want to say it's more successful but is it becoming a more sought after mechanism? Uh that's a very good question. So proof of stake consumes a lot lesser energy but to be very honest it's not been tested that much in the real world. Bitcoin and proof of work have been around for a very long time and every hacker in the world has tried to break it without much success whereas proof of stake and the others are fairly new so from a security angle i am still very convinced on proof of work and not any of the others and so i i i know that you've um, you know mentioned this that addresses ledger and data they're the core parts of blockchain can you explain this a little bit more So in the blockchain world what we do for every user is we create a wallet a wallet has your address which is like a bank account number but it also has something called a private key so if there is a particular balance showing in your bitcoin wallet for example and you want to move that to someone else you would digitally sign that using your private key and because nobody else in the world has your private key only you can sign your transactions so in fact when we talk about people's wallets getting hacked what actually happens is somebody else gets control of your private key and can move the data away anything that you sign with your private key can be verified using your public key which anybody in the world can find out what your public key is so every bit uh, crypto transaction requires someone to sign a transaction with a private key and then the blockchain can verify it using your public key so now that we've understood this whole wallet address kind of a concept the next term is a ledger so you know in the good old days banks used to use physical registers to keep track of all banking transactions i mean youngsters like you may not identify with that world but the first time i opened a bank account banks were not digital 
right so now what the bank did on every piece of paper was for every client they created a ledger and all transactions were noted down and balances were calculated now just imagine that same ledger is moved to the digital world and that's what a blockchain really is a database of transactions so it's a ledger which anybody in the world can connect and see but they don't know your name but they can see all your transactions based on your address so if somebody gets your address they can see every transaction you have ever made on that particular blockchain and you can put a little bit of data into the blockchain so we usually call that as metadata which is basically data about a transaction now a lot of people have even put their love letters into the blockchain through data so a tiny amount of data can be pushed to blockchains although the core still remains the ledger the addresses and then metadata is the third thing that comes in hmm okay got it and what would you say are the different types of blockchains out there so there are many ways to distinguish blockchains i would say the simplest is a bitcoin style blockchain versus an ethereum style blockchain so a bitcoin style blockchain is built only for one single use case so bitcoin's use case is bitcoin cryptocurrency which can be used as a medium of exchange globally then there are the ethereum style of blockchains where other people can come and create their own tokens and cryptos so today on ethereum you have hundreds of thousands of different projects and cryptos running so i would say that's the best way to distinguish blockchains a single use case one versus a multiple use case one and this is also probably why even with nfts we're seeing that people are using it on the ethereum blockchain correct you're absolutely correct So I have another question. Now on this show from the start we've always introduced you as a blockchain architect. But I'm curious what does that really mean according to you? <laughs> sure that's an interesting question. So uh you know like I said there are hundreds of blockchain platforms out there. As a blockchain architect one of my first jobs is that when a client explains the use case I need to identify which is the best blockchain for that use case. that's the first thing and once we've identified that then i need to work with that team of developers and others to actually connect to that blockchain so we do something called api integration we select how many nodes we are going to run and how we are going to secure all that so all that really comes into the purview of a blockchain architect's work and we also look at securing the connections got it got it so essentially you're this you know consultant who helps you know your client get connect basically to a blockchain and 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 like you said also identify the right one for their use case exactly so like in a physical world someone an architect of a building for example would prepare all the charts and the diagrams and the blueprints and then there are other people who take that and make it a reality it's kind of the same thing with the blockchain architect we create that blueprint and then other teams implement that got it got it very interesting All right. I sort of, you know, hooked on to this. You mentioned in uh, one of your, you know, YouTube explainer videos that blockchain doesn't have a single point of failure. And I think this is something we've all heard as well, which is why uh, people have gravitated toward it. But what does this really mean? Sure. So let's say you were running a website from a single server. If somebody tomorrow brings that server down, say by hacking or something goes wrong, there's a technical glitch, your website won't be available. In the blockchain world, there are multiple nodes which have the exact same information so if you want to bring down the blockchain you have to bring down each and every node and there could be thousands and that is why we say blockchains don't have a single point of failure because bringing down one or more nodes doesn't really impact as long as there is even one node still running 
the blockchain continues to run very interesting and in like let's say the bitcoin uh, blockchain is there do we even know how many nodes are there yes there are statistics available in real time where you can see the number of nodes and there's a large number of nodes they go into the thousands so in fact you may have heard of the word decentralization so ideally the more nodes that a blockchain has and in fact nodes run by different people the more decentralized it is considered okay so you know i think this is i think this is something we've all understood at this point but again you know just to understand even deeper what value according to you does cryptocurrency derive from blockchain sure so like i mentioned to you, you know in blockchain we have wallets we have these private keys every transaction is digitally signed and it goes into a ledger which everyone can see there is no other technology in the world which allows you to do this so without blockchain you can't have cryptocurrencies that's how the the piece fits in because otherwise if you look at a bank account you always have a central bank in every country and then you have banks who handle everything in the blockchain world anybody and everybody can be part of the network so blockchain is the only technology that as of today enables us to have cryptocurrencies hmm hmm and how does this relate to the you know digital currency like india's future digital currency right does it derive benefit from blockchain technology as well there uh that's a good question but no central bank digital currencies don't necessarily need the blockchain because it is not going to be an open ledger which anybody in the world can see it is going to be run by the central bank of the country it's going to be run only by that one entity so in most cases they probably won't even use a blockchain for cbdcs what is the relation of nfts to blockchain sure so uh i don't usually like to use the word cryptocurrency because all cryptos are not currencies some of them function as currencies some function as utility coins so similarly nfts or non fungible tokens are just another type of crypto asset the difference is that in a cryptocurrency for example in bitcoin there are say 21 million of them and each of them is kind of identical to each other one bitcoin is equal to the second bitcoin but in an nft we talk about tokenizing things like digital art where each piece of art is unique different from the other so it's called a non fungible token but as far as the blockchain is considered is just another asset um what according to you are the top public blockchains currently sure so as a blockchain architect i have to keep track of many many blockchains but i would say the most popular ones today and for the future would be ethereum binance smart chain polkadot celo and solana i think these are the ones that are going to probably be even more important in the future and of course if i was to choose just one i would say ethereum so you know i read a very interesting article and this was about the use of blockchain beyond cryptocurrency right and it it made the case that blockchain would also become very valuable in our supply chains um is that a good use case according to you uh i'm kind of on the fence on that one it depends on what you're trying to do if you're just putting information from iot or internet of things sensors and putting that into the blockchain and tracking the flow of goods it may be a good blockchain use case but we have to remember blockchains are not made for handling huge amounts of data and the real use case of blockchain always remains smart assets whether you call them nfts or cryptocurrencies as long as a smart asset is at the heart of your use case then it's a good blockchain use case so like if someone says i want to put land records on the blockchain well the blockchain won't be able to handle that amount of data and it's not really meant to do that so we must always keep that in mind not too much data and always have a smart asset at the heart 
Do you think that that's going to change in the future, given that people are expressing interest in blockchain for these use cases outside uh, smart assets? Uh, no, what they'll have to do is they'll have to store the data off-chain. So, you know, there's, there are things like IPFS and various other protocols that are emerging for storing your data. So the blockchain would still continue to handle the assets and have a link to this off-chain data. But large amounts of data, I don't see them ever going onto the blockchain. Very interesting. So you mentioned and basically said any sort of smart asset is a good use case, right, for the blockchain. Can you give a few specific examples? Uh, sure. So when we talk about NFTs, right, and in fact, even in NFTs, we talk about collectible postage stamps which some countries are issuing. So along with that physical postage stamp, there's a small code there which you can scan and immediately see the digital twin of that postage stamp, which is running as a smart asset on a blockchain. And then you can actually sell the digital twin very easily. So that's an exceptionally good use case. It combines the physical world along with the digital world. Then cryptocurrencies in themselves, when used as a medium of exchange or for global payments, that's a good use case again, right? So uh, when then we look at, we talk about the metaverse. Now, anytime that in the metaverse, you want to buy something like maybe a new pair of sneakers, those are going to be NFTs which you have to import into the metaverse. Again, good use case. Or, you know, you have these games where the more you play, you earn NFTs which you can sell. And those NFTs could relate to characters in the game, weapons you could use, even extra lives in the game. Again, good use case of blockchain. And if you were to go, we were to go in the other direction, you would, I think, say that, you know, using blockchain for data uh, storage, that would probably be a bad That's a use bad case. use case. Yeah. That's a bad use case. <laughs> Which would be, I guess, in the case of supply chains, to some extent at least. That's correct. I have one question, which is, Again, a more very, very basic one, in fact. How did blockchain come about? What's its history? Sure. So, uh, contrary to what people believe, blockchain actually is not a very new thing. It is built upon three technologies which have been around for a really long time. In fact, some from the 70s. So, there is this concept of digital signatures, hash functions, and proof of work. Proof of work came about in the 90s. But what the innovation of the person who invented Bitcoin was, he took these pre-existing technologies and came out with a very innovative way of using them for a blockchain network. So the technologies existed, but they were put together in a very innovative fashion by whoever created Bitcoin. And I say whoever because we don't know who the person is. The original white paper just mentions a name Satoshi Nakamoto. But nobody really knows whether that's an individual, a group of people, a fictitious name, we don't really know that. All right. Well, uh, Rohas, thank you very much. I think that's those are all the questions I had, but I think it's been a great conversation and I've come away learning a lot. Um, again, we talk about blockchain so much. You you know, I knew the basics, but it's just always good to ask the obvious questions and, and get a bit more clarity. Awesome. It, it was a pleasure having you on the show, Ria, and I look forward to having you on more episodes. Before we sign off, I wanted to tell the listeners that if you're passionate about blockchain technology and want to spread the word, then I've got a program called Blockchain Ambassador. So just connect with me on the social media platform of your choice and I'll tell you more about this. Thanks, Rohas. And another small note to all our listeners, I hope this episode gives you a deeper understanding of blockchain technology. And as the producer of the show, I have to do a shameless plug and ask you to follow this podcast and rate it wherever you're listening to it right now. This helps us reach more crypto enthusiasts like yourself and helps these resources find a wider audience. 
Thanks for listening in and we'll be back next week.